When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Multiple teams will probably be interested. The only team that I've been able to really figure out who was Minnesota. And the Redskins have been quiet. Trent Williams' side has been quiet about it. But that's the one that I've been able to learn. And it's, that's been for a little bit now. So they've already had their dialogue. And really, whatever they offered wasn't enough. That's what the one thing I'd heard from the Redskins. Nobody's come close. So you can take whatever from there. So if that's the case, then they're either going to have to come up and now have competition. Or they're just going to be out. Okay, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and we are getting closer and closer. Just quick reminder to start the show. We will have our 36 hours of Purple starting Thursday morning. So I will be on at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then I'll be back on at 1 with Rami, and then 2 with Purple Daily, and then all night long with draft coverage. So if my voice survives, we will have all sorts of coverage of the NFL draft, and then on to Friday night and day 2 of the draft as well here on uh, score north Uh, so now we welcome in courtney cronin espn what is going on courtney just draft simming my life away getting ready for the countdown final countdown final 24 starting tomorrow in which i will uh be enacting courtney our draft scout in every fashion of my life so yeah Yeah. i mean i'll be i'll be going to the drive-thru to get coffee uh, and keeping my distance, and uh, they'll 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 greet me as Courtney our draft scout. Like, wow, you're really in draft mode. I'm like, yeah, I know. The thing Thanks. is, though, you're still in Chicago with your family, and they don't have any draft picks in Chicago. So Bears fans will yeah. not be asking you much about Courtney our draft scout because they don't have any picks. Um, but uh, so we've got your five bold predictions of the NFL draft coming up here in a minute. But I want to get to an update from John Kime about the Trent Williams situation. And a tweet that was one that made you go, huh? Um, He mentioned that the Cleveland Browns look like they are now the favorite for Trent Williams. And he noted at the end of his tweet that it's possible Minnesota missed their chance. Um, What is your understanding of what that means of the, the Vikings might have missed their shot at Trent Williams? Well, I think that it probably looks like the Vikings were trying to win the deal here and maybe trying to, I don't want to use the word shortchange, but not offer up what Washington wanted and not budge on that. Because for a while, let's go back like a month ago, it was that Trent Williams wanted a $20 million a year salary and Washington wasn't taking anything less than a second round pick. 
okay, so clearly since time has passed, we learned a little bit more that it wasn't going to be a salary that high somewhere in the 15 to 17 range. It's probably the sweet spot, which the Vikings can certainly afford for Trent Williams and that it was probably going to be lesser in terms of draft capital. Now, as of last week, I had heard the Vikings had been looking at a fourth rounder in the trade for Trent Williams. That's the type of thing. That's the type of compensation they would be sending to Washington along, obviously, with a player, whether that would be Riley Reese, Anthony Harris, because they have to move somebody off the books in order to inherit Trent Williams and his 2020 salary and cap hit, all that. Obviously, that didn't happen yet, so I kind of felt, okay, maybe they're getting somewhere, but it kind of sounds like at this point, the Vikings may have cost themselves the opportunity from what John Kine was reporting. Um, and it just makes me think that the compensation is something that neither side could agree on. And there's probably another team, maybe a Cleveland that's moving in uh, with draft capital that they are willing to give up in order to secure Trent Williams. So the Vikings could have kind of, I mean, it sounds that they might've shot themselves in the foot here. We'll see. Uh, maybe things change on draft night, but as, as far as I know from last week when it was a fourth-round pick that was being talked about in exchange for Williams and, and the player that would be sent to Washington from Minnesota, nothing happened from there. Hmm. I mean, a fourth-round pick and maybe something else, other later-round draft picks, or even if it's Riley Reef that you have to throw into the deal, and Reef is essentially on a one-year deal the way his contract is set up, that would make a lot of sense to me for the Vikings to do that and then sign Trent Williams to a long-term contract extension, which you know would maybe be for three years. Let's say it's a five-year deal, but it's really a three-year type of deal, and the cap hit is lower this year and it goes up. I mean, everybody knows at this point how the Vikings structure their contracts, um, but that would have made a heck of a lot of sense to me to give up a fourth-round pick for him because Washington was never going to get that second-rounder from anybody. Second-rounders, usually you expect, to be starters by the second year or like Irv Smith was last year an instant contributor in some fashion so you're not giving that up for someone who clearly wants out of Washington and will choose to never play again as opposed to playing for you in Washington it's like you're not getting a second rounder but a fourth rounder and then some change seems pretty reasonable to me um, it, it feels like the Vikings had a shot here and if they don't come away with Trent Williams and he goes somewhere else that they will have missed a pretty big opportunity for an all pro caliber tackle. Yeah. And I mean, unless you want to trade up and I don't advocate for this, like into, you know, the early part of the first round, the top 15 to land one of the top four offensive tackles, which just doesn't feel like a smart move considering all that you would give up to land a Mackay Becton or a Tristan Wirfs or a Jedrick Willis, like any of those guys. Um, you're, you're hoping that, a tackle that you potentially take at 22 or 25, maybe it's uh, Austin Jackson, maybe it's Josh Jones. Those are developmental prospects, though. Like You're not going to get immediate help on a unit that certainly needs it. And given the shortened offseason, um, you don't really have a whole ton of time to tinker around with making this whole thing work for your offensive line. And you're stuck with Riley Reef at that point at left tackle, and you're kind of back at square one with figuring out what do you do at one of at both of the interior you know spots at guard so for the vikings you, you hope that you can use the next 48 hours to maybe get back in to the mix to try to trade for trent williams but they're going to get even more competition on draft night because think about it for the teams that 
miss out on one of those top tackles. And, and you can look at, you know, a team like Cleveland. I know that they're coming into the mix more and more. Justina Anderson reported on Tuesday morning that they were considered in the mix for Trent Williams, but they also drafted 10. So are they going to take um, the tackle from Georgia and go get Trent Williams? I don't know, but they're in prime position to get the tackle of their future that they can put at left tackle considering they already have the right side of the line now fixed via free agency. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be some team, though, that does miss out on the guy that they want that could sweeten the price for Washington. And they have all the leverage at this point. Like, they know that Trent is a good player. They know it's been difficult um, and it's the right move to move on. But they don't want to, you know, screw themselves out of a good compensation right. for him. They want to be able to get top dollar for who they consider a top dollar player. And that's going to come on draft night. Just sit in the same vein, it's a, it's a similar situation as Stephon Diggs and why he is no longer a Minnesota Viking. Vikings weren't going to do this in February or even that first week of March after the combine because the deal would not have been at its peak. They mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to get the most value for Diggs uh, until it was the 11th hour, which was right before free agency had started the Monday before. So it's to me, it plays out in the exact same scenario where it's Thursday before we find out anything on Trent Williams because teams have to get desperate. Cleveland makes so much sense to me for Trent Williams because they are entering a win-now type of window um, with Kevin Stefanski being there and Baker Mayfield going into his third year, and you are in the position to overpay for people. And, And the example that I love is Kansas City and Sammy Watkins, that Kansas City overpaid the hell out of Sammy Watkins, but that catch that he made in the Super Bowl and a couple more that he made in the playoffs, he was worth every dime of how much they overpaid him because your quarterback was on a rookie contract, so why the hell not? And, uh, you know, that goes for Trent Williams as well. And the Minnesota Vikings make less sense for Trent Williams than Cleveland does because they are getting into that overpay window. If you are the Vikings, you are putting yourself in a little bit of a tricky spot, especially if Williams isn't what he was before, and then you're paying $15 million in the cap at 2021 for somebody who is just okay or good and not great like he used to be. I mean, this is a guy who's been away from football for a year and is 33 years old. Now, I still think that he'll be one of the better tackles in the league and that he's much better than someone who's a rookie that you're plugging in, but it sort of speaks to how much better the plan is for the Vikings if you aim everything in the draft at 2021 and not in 2020, and you try to come out of the draft and add a couple of guys who haven't gotten jobs yet who are still free agents around the league and hope that those guys sort of work out or fill spots or give you average play at those positions and your superstars like Harrison Smith and Daniil Hunter and Eric Hendricks carry you uh, on the defensive side, and then maybe you could get a weapon that contributes right away at the receiver position. Um, But it doesn't feel like, Courtney, if they don't get Trent Williams, that there is any shot the offensive line is better in 2020. And I will give Kirk Cousins this. If they go three years without giving him even close to an above-average pass-protecting offensive line, I mean, that is just malpractice on his front office's 
point. And they've got Rick Dennison, who's one of the best offensive line coaches out there. Gary Kubiak, famous for getting more out of offensive lines than are actually there. So if they can't give him a decent pass-blocking offensive line in three years, then that will be a huge, huge mistake on the part of the Vikings. And we will have to go back with a fine-tooth comb and say, well, why did they spend money here or draft picks here or there when they weren't able to improve for him, and it goes back to last year's draft too. I mean, they select Garrett Bradbury, who's a center, and I know that that is a hugely important position. But when it comes to pass protection, there's a left tackle on the board who's picked right after that in Andre Dillard, and that's one you have to question a little bit. Of you guys focused on a zone blocking, like a run blocking center, as opposed to a pass protector, when pass success is what equals success, uh, you know, in wins and losses in the NFL, and and that's where I would start to question uh, what they've done here and how they've built this offensive line around a quarterback who desperately needs it. Yeah, I mean, like, you can even go back further than that before Cousins got here. I mean, think about the deal that they gave Riley Reef when he was playing on the opposite side of the line in Detroit, then you're asking him to be a great left tackle. And, yeah, he was an above-average left tackle for most of his time in Minnesota and certainly better than what they had before in T.J. Clemmings. But that move itself has not really panned out, and you've never really thought beyond the two- to three-year plan at left tackle. Like, how are you going to establish that? To me, it felt like they were waiting way too long with Reef, and that maybe this is something, like you mentioned last year with Andre Dillard, um, that that's something that they could have addressed pretty early on and might have had a different result. And then you could have been a year ahead of where you're at right now by moving reef inside to guard and then keeping pat Elflyan at center which was the position that you know he was drafted here to play and then you don't have these issues like you can only play the game of musical chairs for so long um before all the seats are taken and before you've exhausted all your options so when we talk about spielman and just kind of his draft success and why so much hinges on the offensive line, but also so much hinges on him specifically and being able to survive this season. It's moves like that that get most scrutinized. Um, so when you have a Trent Williams that theoretically is within your reach to try to, 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 to move yourself out of the way because you want to try to win the deal, I just don't think it's the right play right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, another point to be made, too, is just where you invest your draft capital. And, you know, any... Draft nihilism says that it's all random and anything can work out in any direction. But when you look at where they spent their later picks, we questioned it at the time, not getting anyone to be a developmental tackle over the last couple of years. And you look at the 2017 and the 2018 draft. So now they have Ole Udo, who I think was a good selection, even if you know he never becomes anything, because you picked someone that could have a high ceiling who could develop as a tackle. But in the 2016 draft, they took Willie Beavers. That immediately blew up in their face in the fourth round. And aside from that, zero tackles taken past the third round in either 2017 or 2018 that seems to me like it would be a position that you would want to draft a bunch of them, almost like how it's a good idea to draft a quarterback every year and see if you, you get one that works out. It's a good idea to draft tackles in the lower levels and see if one of them turns out to be a good player and develops over two or three years, and they didn't do that. So now they're left with, well, I guess we have to roll out Riley Reef against Khalil Mack twice next year and against Darius Smith twice next year, and good luck protecting Kirk Cousins in those games. So if they don't land Trent Williams, it will just be another 
check box in the long list of offensive line things that have gone wrong for this team in the Mike Zimmer era from signing our friend Alex Boone, who we love, but that didn't work out, and they signed Mike Remmers, then immediately move him to guard after a season where he played pretty well, but then you know that doesn't work out. I mean, really, drafting Brian O'Neill is the only thing that you yep. would give them an A grade on for offensive line in the whole Mike Zimmer era, and uh, and that's pretty rough. So, well, we'll see what happens with that, and we'll keep an eye on it, but Cleveland seems like the team that makes the most sense to me for Trent Williams. All right, let's get to your list of five bold draft night predictions. I've also got some hot routes coming up for you as well, Courtney. Go ahead with your first bold prediction for draft night. So I did a mock draft yesterday, um, a live one, and it was with myself and two of my ESPN NFL Nation colleagues and my ESPN radio co-host, Chris Carlin, based out of New York. So we each were responsible for two divisions. I was responsible for the AFC and NFC North, um, and then we split it up that way. So I had, I think it was seven total picks, uh, none for the Bears, none for Pittsburgh, um, and then, yeah, we Vikings had to uh, – it was a weird draft because there were periods where I would go like without like 10 or 11 picks without talking. Um, but it came down to me at 30 at Green Bay. And, of course, I was thinking to myself, well, I need to get Aaron Rodgers another weapon. So uh, Jalen Rieger, if he's there, Michael Pittman Jr., some receiver, or even a defensive tackle uh, to continue to add to their defense makes a whole ton of sense because you'd be going best player available there. Mm-hmm. But guess who was available? Guess which quarterback fell all the way down to 30? How about Jordan Love? Justin Herbert. Oh, okay, okay. So I think that if, if I'm taking this as more five bold statements, bold predictions about what this draft will look like, Justin Herbert will be the last quarterback taken in the first round. Okay, so you think then that uh, Jordan Love goes above him and that all of this Tua smoke is just that, and he's going to be a top draft pick? Yes, I think that Jordan Love um, has a chance to go to one of two places. I'll get into that next, so don't give away my second bold statement. But um, I think there's also a chance for someone like Jalen Hurts to sneak into the first round. Like we talked about yesterday with the Patriots, like, that would be a very Patriots move to try to do something that everybody would be like, what are you doing? You could get him in the second or the third, but believing so much in a player that they see as a fit in their offense that they'd be willing to use the 23rd overall pick to grab a player like that. So the uh, the, the Packers with needs, though, at especially wide receiver, do you think uh-huh. that they would make an investment like that on, on a quarterback uh- if somebody fell? I think they have to. How much longer is Aaron Rodgers going to play? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's in his thir- he's in his late thirties right now, but who else do they have? I mean, there's no clear cut number two waiting in the wings to take over when Rodgers is ready to move on. And this is a franchise that did that, that had Rodgers sit for several years behind Brett Favre. Um if he's there, I think you would be hard-pressed to pass up on Justin Herbert. And it, it makes sense to me if you're thinking for the long-term future. Yeah. And, you, and, many, and many teams use the draft to find their quarterback. Call me crazy. No, that's right. And it is hard to get desperate and 
you know, take a wide receiver there and just hope that they contribute right away. Um, I wonder what their mentality is, if their mentality is the more long-term or if it's we're going to run this thing into the ground and then rebuild it the next time, um, you know, after Aaron Rodgers is done and we'll just sort of, you know, do everything we possibly can to win during the Aaron Rodgers era as opposed to spending a higher draft pick on another quarterback. I do think it's smart to look down the road at quarterback, but you also have this anxious feeling of we really do have to try and win because you went 13-3, and you got to an NFC Championship game, and then you got whooped. And it sort of felt for them like that might be Rodgers' last chance at it. But, you know, of course, even though he is washed, as we have said on the show before, I would never <laughs> doubt his ability to get back there. All right, your next bold prediction. Well, I'm going to stick with the Patriots uh, there because I, I know I'm, I kind of tease them as one of the two teams I could see something happening uh, wild with court, a quarterback. And I think that not Jalen Hurts, but I think they're going to trade up to get Jordan Love. Oh, okay. So uh, do you think that – so I, I was thinking about the Patriots and their quarterback situation. And uh, do you think that Belichick would go – opposite Tom Brady to just be like, yeah, Tom, I didn't even need your style of quarterback anyway. I can have a big, strong-armed, fast guy. See, I'll win with him. Or would he look for another Tom Brady type and take Jake Fromm? Because Jake Fromm like, has good footwork and good mechanics. Eason. Yeah, Jacob Eason is large, throws the ball hard. Like, Would he look for a Tom Brady look-alike or would he look for somebody that was maybe like Jalen Hurts or Jordan Love, who's more athletic and playmaking and that sort of thing. I think you go the opposite way because Belichick's mentality throughout this whole process of moving on from Brady has been, "I can win without you, uh, and we're not going to we're not going to do it your way." So he's going to try to go the polar opposite to show mm. that he can win without Tom Brady. It's just a you know, just a thought there. Um, I know we talked about it on the show yesterday that it wouldn't surprise either of us if they pulled the move of drafting Jacob Eason, a fourth-round pick, uh, in the first round just to prove us all wrong and make us all look stupid. Yeah, yep. But um, with a guy like Jordan Love and the untapped potential there, I think that grooming him, and it's hard because usually you anticipate if you're trading up to get a quarterback – you're, especially if it was somebody, depending on where you trade it up to, like they say that they want to give Jarrett Stidham every opportunity to be the guy in New England, and maybe they will, but it's hard to think that if you trade up to draft a quarterback that that won't be your starter at some point during the 2020 season. We just haven't. Yeah. Like Teams have tried that whole thing before where they let the guy sit for a year. Um, it just is not – that doesn't happen that often. So I would anticipate that Jordan Love at some point this season, should they do this and trading up for him, will be the starter. Yeah, if your starter is trash, though, that's really hard to do. That's like when the Bears had Mike Glennon, and sure. after four or five games, people just couldn't stand watching Mike Glennon play football anymore. So like, all right, okay, well, we'll put in our rookie here and see how he does and get him some experience. Um, but you know, New England and the quarterback situation is among the five – most interesting entire storylines of this draft. It would be almost typical New England to do any of these things. It would be typical for Belichick to say, oh, watch me win with somebody else. It would feel typical if he picked someone that looked like Brady. It would feel typical if they draft someone in the fifth round and they become great because that's just, you know, the Patriots. Um, but Jake Fromm is the one where I'm like, Mm, 
yeah, I wonder about that. A guy who maybe, you know, won't turn the ball over as much and sort of can game manage, and then Belichick can prove that it was all his defense. Uh, your next bold pick, pick number three. The Raiders are going to get both Alabama receivers in the first round at 19, excuse me, at 12 and 19. So they go ahead and get C.D. Lamb. Um, sorry, not C.D. Lamb went to Oklahoma, but they're going to get the top two receivers. Jerry Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs. Well, they're going to get, yeah, those, both of those guys went to Alabama. Yeah, yep. Yes, they get the two Alabama receivers, because this is kind of a two-part thing, um, at 19 and 12. They have two picks in the first round, thank you to the Cleo Mack trade that keeps on giving. But then Justin Jefferson is technically, he would be the second receiver off the board. That's oh, my... okay. At, at to Tampa Bay at 14. I could totally see that with Jefferson, that he's being overlooked in this entire process, but the guy had over 100 catches and really helped Joe Burrow become the number one overall pick. Yes. And I like Jefferson a lot if he drops to the Vikings, but I don't think he will. Uh, now, if you are Oakland, this would be brilliant because you're going to give Derek Carr every opportunity to prove that he can be your franchise quarterback. No more excuses, no more he didn't have the wide receivers, and that's why he was checking down, which you know is reasonable. You look at their wide receivers over the last couple of years since they traded Amari Cooper, and it is not good. Uh, their tight end was really the only playmaker that they had on that team last year, and they go 7-9, and nine, I think. So you know, if you're Gruden, you want to be a little bit bold here and give the guy as much as you possibly get. So you're 100% sure if he fails, then you can go to your owner, Mark Davis. You could say, man, that haircut is still bad. Um, and But then you say, I gave him everything he, he could have possibly had, and, and he didn't work out, and now we have to go draft another quarterback or something like that. I like that plan. Even if it's not the two receivers that you laid out, if it's some combination of just getting two playmakers, I mean, in terms of positional value, uh, I think you can't do a whole lot better than that to help Derek Carr be a competing team. And your offense better be good if you're playing in that division because everybody else's is going to be. So, all right, uh, your number two bold prediction for draft night. This would be my last one, wouldn't it not? Number four. I, whatever. I've gotten this confused number, every day. Number, Countdowns, count-ups, doesn't matter. This is your fourth. No, this is my fifth because oh, this is your fifth. The, the last two are kind of packaged in one. You know what? I've um, become, like, countdowns, I've become, like, the pie charts for you where I just I cannot get it right. You just cannot figure it out. And this one is probably a little bit of a stretch, but it's also not because of the GM it's slash bold. coach it's also, that we're dealing supposed with. supposed to be bold. Um... Bill O'Brien's going to trade for Leonard Fournette. <laughs> I don't know if that's more of me being uh, a Turbo Snark. But Turbo Snark. Yes. If there's any way for it to happen, um, I think that this is the only team. I mean, it would actually make sense if you went to Tampa Bay, considering they need a running game. It, it is cheaper to find those guys in the draft, but um, – I don't know. I don't think any. I think Fournette is awful, and I don't yes. think that any team should trade for him. But Bill totally O'Brien would probably do something like that. So that's a bold. I mean, can you get any bolder than that? You know, the only other name that I thought of was the Giants. If they traded for Leonard Fournette, and then Dave Gettleman gave some speech about how the Raiders used to have Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen in the backfield, like you can't do better than this with these two guys. Uh, I th- also think that Leonard Fournette is just horrible. Like he's not a good player. And he had like seventy-two catches last year for just over five hundred yards. Yeah, like, that's what? pathetic. I mean, that's just entirely checkdowns because you can't do anything else except for receive checkdowns. 
And if you're going to be one-dimensional, at least be good at it. And he's definitely not. Um, you know, that pick, real quick before we hit the break, that pick is twice as bad as the Chicago Bears taking Trubisky over Mahomes and over Watson. And even though all of us, I think, would have taken Watson after watching him win the national championship, at least you picked a quarterback that you thought was the best. The Jaguars, Blake Bortles was 11-34 and as a starter, and they picked a running back as opposed to Deshaun Watson. That's so much worse. That's a thousand times worse. With quarterbacks, you never know, right? I mean, Watson, he's worked out great, but he might not have. Uh, there were reasons to think that maybe he didn't have the arm strength or something. Like, okay, fine. Your scouts tell you they love Trubisky. You select Trubisky, and it doesn't work out. All right. Uh, not that I would say it was a good pick. Of course not. But if you pick a running back and stick with Blake Bortles, you are the most insane team ever. And then your running back turns out to stink. That No surprise, the Jaguars once again are a mess. So let's take a break. Uh, when we return, I've got some mini hot routes, and we will get into maybe a draft sim. You, you feel like draft simming? I, 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 feel, I feel like doing I think it. We, I think we should. All right, we'll do that when we return. Here, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. A quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Purple Daily. It's obviously crazy times right now, but one thing you still can do is get out and ride. And the weather, well, it seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sport bike, dirt bike, or any other type of motorcycle, they have just what you need. And through May 28th, Dennis Kirk is offering 0% interest for up to 12 months. Over 160,000 parts, products in stock, and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 orders ship free. DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. Jonathan here with the Score North download. In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation But blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or just use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. ESPN NFL Nation's John Keim joined Scorenorth live today. He covers the Washington football squad for ESPN, and he talked about whether Trent Williams, the star left tackle for Washington, would actually like to play in Minnesota and how enticing a trade would be for Washington if they were to trade Trent Williams to the Vikings saying you know I know like clearly Trent Williams I think would probably like to play there he knows Kirk Cousins that's a good team they're they're not far from you know reaching the Super Bowl for goodness sake so you know I think there's a lot of and the, plus they have a lot of picks so I think if you're the Redskins you're going to look at all those picks and say you just got a haul for Stephon Diggs you know give us more so <laughs> it's that's what I say it's just there's there's a lot there that you say it would make sense for these sides to do a deal and I can see why both sides might be sticking to their guns that's been your score North download now back to Purple Daily 
right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And I've got some sort of mini hot routes, and then we've got a draft sim. So let's jump right into it, Courtney. And in hour number two, we've got Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, and we also have Eric Edholm coming up in about an hour. He's from Yahoo Sports. So a lot of draft in your face still to come here on Purple Daily. But here are my questions. I'm just going to go right into it on hot routes, Courtney. Let's start it right off with this. We were talking about how the Jaguars want to trade Leonard Fournette, which I'm still laughing about them drafting him that high and then wanting to trade him a couple of years later. Um, But which team in this year's draft will pass up a quarterback when they really should be thinking about taking one? I know that I said the Green Bay Packers in the mock draft that I did last night took Justin Herbert because he fell all the way to 30. Um, I have a hard time believing that Green Bay believes Aaron Rodgers is anywhere close to being done. I think that they could wait another year, or at least that's their belief, that they don't have to address that position now. I would draft a quarterback if he's there. Because if you think about New England and New Orleans at 24 and 23, um, New England's going to be smart. They're going to, like we said, they're going to pull some sort of move that surprises us all and, and just kind of pull the wool over our eyes and draft Jalen Hurts or Jacob Eason, uh, which means then New Orleans is probably going to draft Jordan Love uh, to be the heir apparent to replace Drew Brees. And then at 30, if all the quarterbacks are off the board, or at least, you know, let's say Herbert ends up going to the Chargers at six, um, Green Bay is going to take a receiver, they're going to take a defensive tackle, and they're not going to worry about this. But I do think that they should consider drafting a quarterback high in the first two rounds to be able to start working on a succession plan for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, that's a good pick. I have But a, I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. I, I think that they are going to continue to try and push their chips to the middle of the table on Rodgers until that thing just goes off the side of the cliff, and then you tank and draft a quarterback in the top if you can the following season whenever that happens. So I've got a few teams that are just not even really in the conversation for drafting quarterbacks that makes so much sense to me. I mean, number one is Detroit. If Tua makes it to number three, then you draft Tua and you put him behind Matt Stafford and you plan on him being your starting quarterback in 2021 and you'd be very happy with it. Uh, The Las Vegas Raiders are another one who are not super thrilled with their quarterback and Derek Carr. And if you're not super thrilled, then you should be looking for whatever the next option is. So whether they like Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, if he makes it all the way there, I kind of doubt it, but it's possible that he could. The low-key ones for me are the Denver Broncos, who I know everyone would go, wait, what, what, what? But not in the first round. But if Jalen Hurts was there for you in the second round, you're Denver. What reason do you have to think Drew Locke is the next John Elway? I mean, he he had a couple of good starts at the end of a season, but he was a second-round pick himself. You should continue to take flyers on quarterbacks until you're sure, because if Drew Locke falls off the edge of the earth next year, you're going to feel like, once again, you are stuck and in a position to have to sign a free agent or trade for somebody. If you're looking down the road in your Denver, not in the first round here, because then you're taking a shot at maybe Jordan Love, and I think that that's risky, or Justin Herbert or Jacob Eason, and you're stretching. But in the second round, there's a good argument for it. The other one is the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Matt Ryan is getting into his late 30s here, and as you love to 
you know, sort of paraphrase the Mean Girls thing, but I'll use it again. But, like, stop trying to make this happen, Falcons. Stop trying to make winning happen. Um, you know, they didn't fire their head coach. Last year they have a, a mediocre second-half run where they get a couple of upsets and they go, oh, no, actually, this was the real us. Sure it was. Okay, I don't think you're going to win anything more in Matt Ryan's career. You had your shot. You missed it. Draft the next guy. And at 16, I mean, yeah, they could draft a corner or a defensive tackle, but wouldn't it be smarter to draft someone who could potentially be your future starting quarterback? I think so. What do you think of those? Yeah, I think the Raiders are a very realistic team that should be in the mix for the for a quarterback because of what you mentioned about Mariota and Carr. But I don't think that they're going to use either of those first-round picks on that. Like the scenario that I brought up, of them thinking, hey, we can get the best wide receiver tandem in this draft. We're going to do it and draft both players from Alabama. That seems more realistic to me than getting a quarterback, but they should. That's a team that should absolutely be in the market for trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen beyond this year, you know, and when Garrett Carr's contract is up and how they can move on. And, you know, if that guy's there at 12, you'd be hard-pressed to to pass him up. I mean, especially if Jordan Love should be there at 12. Justin Herbert could be there at 12. But they could get a little greedy there and think, hey, we already have somebody, at least for the short term, that will worry about this when we need to worry about it next year. Yep, and that is drafting for need and not the most valuable player that you could possibly get. And it's desperation to keep jobs and you know things like that are what forces teams to make mistakes in the draft. Uh, Next mini hot route question for you. Someone put out the Wonderlick numbers, and of course the stupidity just came pouring in like a tidal wave because Tua had the lowest Wonderlick score, which, by the way, has just been proven over and over to not tell you anything. So Ryan Fitzpatrick's Wonderlick score was almost perfect, and Ryan Fitzpatrick has just won nothing in the NFL and is not a good quarterback as much as I appreciate him as a journeyman. Um, so if you were to invent a test that you thought would tell you whether someone was going to be a great quarterback, what would that test be? Well, I think the wonder like is about as useful as that drill where they take brooms and try to hit the quarterback. <laughs> yes. It's like a, it's a pocket passing drill. Yes. Um, yeah. So I thought, you know, when you're talking about decision making and, and having to make situation, you know, work through situations under pressure in a very split second manner, why not put them in one of those escape rooms? Oh, that's a good one. Make it really, really difficult. Um, and like add, add like an element to it, like have the room be filling up with water. And after it gets to a certain point, you're not going to drown them, but like have it slowly fill up with water and they have until certain, till it reaches their chest to figure it out. Otherwise the drill is over. Wow. Okay. So you really went all in on that. You're terrifying the young man as well as putting him in that I mean, situation. It's terrifying What's... playing quarterback. Yeah, you're it's right. terrifying when Akeem Hicks is barreling down on you. You need to have a realistic situation that would emulate that. I'm not disagreeing. I think that's a smarter thing than having him do a written test for figuring out who's a good pro athlete. Here's mine. So at the combine, they're in a hotel room in Indianapolis where all the meetings are. And I want to be the last person to walk in the room and have a tennis ball in my hand. And with the quarterback not looking at me, throw it at him. And if he knocks it down or catches it, I've got my guy. Like, that's the quick twitch I need. That's the vision I need, the cone of vision. If anyone played Madden 05, it used to have the the quarterback cone of vision. If he's got really good vision, great instincts, great reaction, uh, the smarts to know that I might throw something at him. 
uh, you know, always got to be on high alert. That's better. Yeah, than, that's also better than the drill. wonder look. Yes. Okay. I like that one. I like it. Um, new jerseys are everywhere. New uniforms. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers put out uniforms that are actually pretty slick. The Patriots just rolled out uh, ones that they were already using for their color rush. And, okay, you know, I guess that's fine. Um, if you could redesign one team's uniforms who did not redesign them this offseason, so Tampa Bay would have been the obvious answer before, whose uniforms, who hasn't redone them, would you redo this offseason? Probably, I mean, the simple answer for me is the Lions because I just, I don't know. I've never been a huge fan of those jerseys, uh, like the main ones that they wear, but I'm not so angry at them that I would, like, blow up the jersey and start all over. I do have an answer, though. I was thinking, what is the ugliest jersey? And a lot of the ugliest ones we talk about, um, oftentimes they're either color rush or the throwbacks and I was like, which I was like trying to remember like which one was it. So I searched Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you remember the, oh, the Bumblebee Bumblebees? Ones yes, yes. Where, uh-huh. where they had the stripes and the the square that was white that had their number in theirs. I want yes. to light those on fire and never see them again. <laughs> That's my yes. solution. Never see them again. Incinerate them. That is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers and you have a top five jersey, maybe even in sports, like your yeah, whole look. Their normal jersey is awesome. Yeah. That one is not. I totally agree. I would take the Jets ones that they put out last year and fired them into the sun. And I would take the New York Giants and throw them back. There's a lot of throwbacks that are good choices here. But the New York Giants, I mean, it's fine. It's not a problematic jersey. But I like how it looked in the late 80s and early 90s. So I would probably throw back that one. And if I were the Patriots, I would bring back the the old school with the guy snapping the football. I think that those are probably a lot better. Um, but in terms of teams that need a full overhaul, the Houston Texans, I mean, from the very beginning, it was brutal. It looked like it was made on Madden when you're doing a create a team with like, I, I love America, so I'm going to go red, white, and blue. Like, really? Um, an entire overhaul of the Texans uniforms, I think, would be a good idea. You can't have... Deshaun Watson playing in those. Do you like those? He wears like cleats, like those ones that are you know high ankle. I think it looks fine with those uniforms. I and, and especially I like the white sweater, uh, the white uniforms, the with the navy blue pants. I think those look fire. So I don't know. I'm kind of in the minority there. Maybe other people don't agree with me, but I just his cleats make that whole uniform. Yeah, I've just. Okay, I could see that for him specifically, but for the entire uniform, it just seems like they thought we should make this look like the flag because we love the flag in Texas. Um, so I, I've never kinda really like the, been. It's kind of like the Patriots uniform a little bit. Well, yeah, it's kind of like every uniform in sports that has been rolled out since the year like 2003, where everybody went, we've got to have dark blue. I mean, remember when the New Orleans Pelicans, and they've since corrected this, but they rolled out their sort of new franchise, and I love the Pelicans nickname. It's super unique. And then they go with dark blue. Like, oh, really? You're going to be the Pelicans and then go with the most boring color? So, anyway, that would be mine. I would probably try to fix the Houston Texans. All right, last one, and then we've got draft sims. Um, This is probably it for Andy Dalton. His last week is a Bengal, I think. 
Uh, Joe Burrow is going to be drafted number one. You probably can't keep both of them on the roster. Dalton is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. I don't know where he's going with Cam Newton and Jameis Winston also as free agents, but somebody will get hurt in training camp. Someone will want Andy Dalton. I think this is it for him in Cincinnati. But was he good, and what do you think happens with him? I think Andy Dalton was is a good quarterback, but he's never going to be great in anybody's minds, despite the fact that, yeah, he played for, you know, from 11 till 19, from the moment he was drafted till the 2019 season, threw for 31,000 yards, three Pro Bowls, took him to five straight playoffs. Like, I mean, that's hard to do in its own right, and, and he's going to finish with the second most passing yards in franchise history, but he never, in my mind, was able to take this team over the hump. They had good defenses over the year, too. Like, I, I know that they've had a lot of injury issues with guys on offense, and it always felt like there was a piece of the puzzle missing for Dalton to be great. But he's always going to be a good quarterback, in my mind. And whether he goes somewhere to become a starter in 2020 or, you know, as a backup who eventually becomes a starter, I think he's going to be just fine. Um, and he's handled this whole thing incredibly gracefully. I'll give him that. Knowing that your successor is on his way uh, this Thursday to Cincinnati to take over your job, he's handled it just about as well as you could. Um, and so, I mean, that too, it kind of makes, gives my opinion or solidifies my opinion of Andy Dalton, uh, as a person and, and as a quarterback too. I think that he will go down probably as one of those guys that you just think of was, he was solid, like nothing more than that, nothing less. He was solid and he was good and he had some good moments. But I mean, you think about the taking your team to the playoffs for five straight years. Kirk Cousins hasn't yeah. done that. No, not like, even close. It's so hard, but. I don't know. I just I can't get past that. And I mean, that division, too, has been winnable in the past few years. And, you know, it's even before the the, you know, the surgeon, the surge of the um, Baltimore Ravens and how good the Steelers have been from time to time. But they just never were able to capitalize on that. I don't know. Yeah, I do think that he is a reasonably good quarterback in the exact right situation, which is what he had through those years with great wide receivers, time to throw the ball, and a good enough defense to put them in position to win. And he falls into the maybe like poor man's Alex Smith. Sure. Like Alex Smith won a ton of football games and nearly got his team into the Super Bowl. And just, you know, I mean, somebody who was a really, really good quarterback, but always was sort of the poster boy for having a ceiling on what you can do. And Andy Dalton didn't win playoff games, um, but consistently got his team there. And I respect guys who find a way to win. Um, So I've always respected Dalton, even though his statistics were not wowing for every season. And you saw what his ceiling was in 2015, and it's just bad luck that he gets hurt and A.J. McCarron has to be the guy who starts for them in the playoffs. Um, but I always did have a, a good amount of respect for Dalton while not thinking he was a great quarterback. Um, but, you know, I I just wonder why the New England Patriots, maybe it's because they want to see what happens on draft night or whatever, why they sign back Hoyer and they have Stidham and, like, why not Andy Dalton? Can't Andy Dalton give you some ballpark of what Brady did last year if you get him a little more to work with? I mean, Brady is clearly still better, um, but... 
you know, if you, if you get a couple of weapons in the draft and you trade for Andy Dalton and you still have that great defense, like they could win the AFC East still, and that's not a guarantee for any of those other teams. So, you know, I, I don't know why the Patriots didn't go with someone like Andy Dalton. He kind of seems perfect I agree. Uh, for them. And, I mean, that was the most logical answer when we were dealing with, like, well, who's left? Cam Newton, yeah. Jameis Winston, and Andy Dalton. Why isn't Andy, Andy Dalton been locked up by the Patriots on a one-year, two-year deal? Um I don't know. You heard what Bill Belichick said and what the Patriots rhetoric has been around the draft. They want to give Jarrett Stidham every chance to be the starter. So maybe they are going into the season with that in mind and that Andy Dalton knows that and says, no, look, I want to go somewhere where I can still be the starter. And that just wasn't the path in New England. A little tone deaf, if, if you ask me, if you really if that really did go down that way. But I could see that as a possibility. Um, because of the, of the quarterbacks that were left on the veteran free agent market, he was the most logical fit for yeah. New England. And it didn't make yep. a whole ton of sense, but maybe we'll find out on draft night if they do end up trading up uh, to get a quarterback. Maybe this signifies that. You also like to point out that every team will say, no, 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 we love our quarterback. What are you guys talking about? Why are you guys talking quarterback when you're so silly because we love Josh Rosen? Somebody brought out the tweet the other day where the Cardinals tweeted out, Josh is our guy, and attribute it to Cliff Kingsbury. Like, yeah, okay, sure he is. Um, so you never know what's going to happen, and they could still end up with um you know with Andy Dalton in the end anyway if they don't get who they want to get. So uh let's let's draft sim here before you go today and you will obviously be a part of our draft coverage and reminder our 36 hours of uh purple so we'll have just all sorts of coverage of this draft and everything else uh going on and a reminder too if you download our app that you have a chance to get in on our draft day 1K giveaway and potentially win $1,000 if you uh, get the right purple pick. Let's put it that way. So, um, all right, Courtney, your draft sim, why don't you begin? Well, the board I used, um, it came, guys came off of it much differently than I would have thought. Um, there was no quarterback taken between Tua and, let me see here, I think the next one was Justin Herbert at 24 to the Saints. So there's a, there's a big gap there that means the Chargers ended up, Jeffrey Okuda slid all the way down to seven to six, which is not that surprising. Uh, but I say all this to, to point out that the offensive tackle class and where it stands in the top four guys was what it was. That's what you expected. But it pushed some of the wide receivers into different order um, and the cornerbacks too before I was on the clock at 22. So the cornerbacks that went before I had a chance to pick were obviously Akuda Henderson, but then Ter- Terrell uh, and Jalen Johnson back-to-back at 19 and 20 to the Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So best player available at 22 was Kalevon Chasen. So I took, an, oh, I took okay. an edge rusher, which I know – there were some people who were not thrilled about one of the mo- – I've done a million mocks, by the way. I mean, my name's Courtney, our draft scout. I so, know, right? like, not all mocks are the same, and I always test out different scenarios because there's no exact science to drafting. But if you do have an edge rusher here who – I know there's been some knocks about his game and his development and what you know what how much work coaches have cut out for them at the next level, but he was the 16th-ranked player on the board at that time, and I got him at 22. I felt like that's best player available. I'm drafting for the future, and it's not a bad pick. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think if he's there, I would still be a little hesitant because 
You wonder about the guy that doesn't have the great production and also doesn't have a lot of experience in college either. But also, I would believe that just about anyone you gave Andre Patterson would yeah. become a good player. I mean, I mean sure. they've, they've just developed so many guys into nice players there. And, and the positional value, because they are good at developing those players, that's where I would question a little bit, like, you know, do you need that person? But... You know, if you're looking down the road and saying in a couple of years you can have two elite edge rushers like you've had during the Zimmer era, it's not a, a bad pick at all. So um, I'm going to run through mine here, and then we can decide who has the better one. So I got to 22, and Makai Becton was still there. Okay. Do you think that's Do you think that that's reasonable at all to think that well, he could be there 22 after the failed drug test? I mean, the failed drug test would be the only thing that would push him all the way down to 22 because some people have him as the second or third tackle taken off the board. Um, will we find out what exactly he failed the drug test for? Was it PEDs? Was it marijuana? Like, what was it? So um, that's the only reason I could see him falling, but it just doesn't feel realistic given what this what's in the new CBA about how players aren't even going to miss game time for marijuana suspensions or it's not going to yeah. happen. So I think teams will be able to look past that. Um but, no, I mean, it's a good pick if he's there, sure, absolutely. But I just don't think it's realistic. Yeah, I, I also don't think it's realistic. But we do know someone will drop. There's just not enough players for draft picks that we can all stuff everyone who has a top 15 grade into the top 15. So there's going to be one player that really surprises us that's there at 22 that will go to the Vikings. I just don't know who it is. Um, so in this case, it was Makai Becton that I took. 25, Denzel Mims was still on the board. I took him, although I just wrote an article today for scorenorth.com, and he is under my boom or bust, Denzel Mims. When it says... Not sure if he's the greatest separator, even though he's really explosive. That immediately is one of those things that sends up my antennas of like, uh, it's not really what you want to hear is he's not the greatest separator, um, but he's such a good receiving prospect. I took him there uh, with 58 Terrell Lewis, the defensive end out of Alabama, similar to Caleb on Chason in that he doesn't have a lot of experience, but when you match his uh, height, weight and performance at the combine up against Daniel Hunter, pretty close. Yep. It's just that Lewis has had a lot of injuries. He'd be a much higher prospect if he didn't. Uh, Terrell Burgess, the safety out of Utah, who I've just read some very high reviews on his intelligence, so maybe he could become, you know, even if they sign Anthony Harris, he could become some type of contributor in the secondary. And Van Jefferson, the receiver out of Florida, so sure. I did go with the double receiver approach. But then I realized, Courtney, I got to the end and went, oh, I didn't get any corners. Aye, That's aye, not aye. good. Well, let me read you the rest of mine, and we can get, kind of debate here. Um, 25, I took Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle out of USC. I just picked him, actually, in a mock draft this morning on Golik and Wingo. I felt like the way the board was falling that three picks later, I would have been safe in not having him fly off the board because the top five tackles, uh, round, top five offensive linemen rounded out by Josh Jones – um, was already that were already done by 15. So I felt yeah, comfortable yeah. waiting. So I got him at 25. My first cornerback's Damon Arnett, who is a stud uh, out of Ohio State. He came in for me at 58. And then I did, too, go with the double wide receiver approach. K.J. Hill hmm. uh, out of Ohio State at 89. And then a very, very large human being in Colin Johnson at 105, which – I know how we sometimes feel about six six receivers and if they yep. can actually play in the NFL, but um, 
you know, the, the, the draft grades on him have been pretty consistent. So I, I felt like it was a safe pick to go with two wide receivers that you could mold into certain fits in your scheme in back-to-back picks. Yeah, with that pick, it's great. And I should apologize. Like, after you got done talking about your first pick, I jumped in. I was very excited to give you my draft sim. And then I realized that I had no corners, and I should have been less excited to give you my draft <laughs> That's sim. That's okay. Um, but I think that because of that, like, we both end up with a tackle high, and I think that's really important that they do come away with a tackle high. Both Jackson and Becton have their warts, though. I mean, yeah. how many guys have ever been this massive and worked out? I mean, there's a couple of them in the league now. Trent Brown has worked out, and um, who else am I thinking of? Orlando Brown. Both of those guys are gargantuan and have worked out. But there have been plenty of these, oh, you'll never believe how gigantic he is, and that's his biggest thing. Um, and then, the, you know, the, the failed drug test, I always joke, you know, always draft the weed guy. But if it's something else, you worry a little bit about it. And, and Austin Jackson, you worry a little bit about just, you know, his performance was not unbelievable at USC, but his combine was. And that formula always makes you a little concerned. All right. Is he really up to the task in the NFL or was he just a, you know, um, uh, an Olympian at the, the combine? Right. Or, or can he actually play football? So. Um, I would grade your draft probably higher than mine because I think if you completely neglect the cornerback position, probably Mike Zimmer comes in and physically harms you would be my guess. That's so. fair. Yeah, I mean, you have to get a corner in the top 105. Um, yep. And I think that they realistically could treat it in a way like wide receiver and wait till yep. day two. But, yep. you know, they're in much better position. Let's say they trade back from 25 and they get one of the top 10 picks in the second round to go get a cornerback they know can start day one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like the double corner approach. I mean, almost anything, if you go double something, you've probably done all right. If you go double offensive linemen, I'm not going to be upset. You go double corners, you go double wide receivers in the first 105. I mean, I think all of those things make a lot of sense because they're positions you absolutely need and that we never really know with a guy until he actually gets there. So, uh, Courtney, always fun. Uh, we're going to take a break and talk to Mike Renner next, and um, you'll be popping back in on Thursday, correct? Yes. So our, our lead-up to the draft it might just the whole show just might be draft simming at that point. I mean, two hours of draft simming. What's not to love? That sounds good to me. All right, Courtney, our draft scout, Courtney Cronin from ESPN. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus here on Purple Daily. Score North is all in for Vikings draft week. It's thirty-six hours of purple starting Wednesday at eleven a.m. and running all the way through the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday night. Yes, you heard it right, 36 straight hours of Purple Talk presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group this Wednesday and Thursday on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. 
you know, we had no, we did not want to, uh, had no intention of trading uh, Diggs at the uh, at the combine. Uh, he's a great player for us. Uh, he was great in the community. Uh, but then there was an opportunity, business opportunity that came up as this evolved that we felt was both good for Stefan and was good for us. Uh, and we decided to go ahead and make the trade. But we'll always appreciate uh, everything that, uh, that Stefan has done for us here in Minnesota and wish him nothing but the best. That was General Manager Rick Spielman on a Zoom call with reporters today. Uh, I have no intention of eating the brownie that I know is at home waiting for me, but should the business opportunity of a cold glass of milk be offered, I will be eating that uh, brownie. Yeah, I'm sure that he knew there was the possibility when he answered at the combine. I wish he had just said, I was lying to you guys. Come on. I kind of had to. Do you know how this works? Um, now we uh, we welcome in here a couple minutes late, and I apologize for that. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. What's going on, Mike? Not much. Just looking forward to Thursday here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I need someone to break down. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands because on Twitter, Ian Rappaport dropped a mega bomb that Rob Gronkowski wants to come back. This just happened on Twitter. He wants to come back and he wants to be traded to Tampa to play with Tom Brady. This was one where you had to, like, click Rappaport's name a couple times and be like, that's okay. The blue check mark. This does look like the real guy. But uh, it, you think this is going to happen, and what would that mean for Tampa Bay, and what would they trade him for? Yeah, what year is this that team that guys are requesting trades from New England to Tampa? <laughs> right, uh, yeah. This isn't the Jaguars, right? This this is New England <laughs> we're talking about. But no, uh, I think I mean so from the Patriots' perspective, yes, you don't want to set a precedent of like cowtowing the players. But, like, this is a unique situation. Yeah. And any draft capital is better than a retired player on your hands. You know, like, yep. anything here, you'll take a seventh rounder, like, realistically. So uh, I think they'll play a little bit more hardball than that and probably fetch maybe maybe do a straight-up swap for O.J. Howard, something like that uh, in this trade talks. But I think they get something real in return. and. I mean, Patriots fans, I know you don't want to see a guy play for another team, but you should be happy about this. It's better for the future for him to unretire here. Right. It makes really no difference to the Patriots whatsoever. They're not a Super Bowl contender anyway. That's the only place you are going to meet the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So whatever. I mean, you're not making it. But I did picture in my mind sort of like the camera cutting to Brian Hoyer and being like, what? Come on, Gronk. Like, you don't want to come back with old Bri? <laughs> but uh, I mean, imagine. Now, uh, Mike Evans, Gronk, Chris Godwin. I mean, uh, what Brady goes from having a washed-up Mohamed Sanu, an Edelman who uh, washed up Julian Edelman, and no one else who could catch a football last year, to now potentially the best trio of receiving options, if Gronk is still Gronk, that we have seen in a really, really long time. I don't even know what to compare it to. Yeah, well, I think the whole if Gronk is still Gronk is the big point there, though. Like, mm-hmm. even his last year in New England was not good. Like, there was a reason he retired, and it's because the back was shot. And he was not the same Gronk that we saw. Like, he just could could barely move. So, I think that was a big part of it. And maybe you're off. Maybe the back is, backs are, you know, finicky injuries. It's not necessarily that it's gotten worse, that it could have gotten better with weight loss, whatever. He could be back to what he was. But that's a big if at this point. I will say, though, just – it is a massive upgrade from what he had last year. Like even just Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, even if nothing more they add at this point, even if Gronk never makes it there, I do think it's still 
some of the best talent he's worked with in years. It has run through my mind before, Mike, uh, about this, like, Richie Incognito took a year off, not really by his own doing, but then came back and was really darn good. And he did that twice, uh, not by his own doing. And both times he came back and was still a a good quality NFL guard. And I've had it it sort of just pop into my head a couple of times about, like, if you get to 30 and you took a year off, if any quality, like, all-pro or Pro Bowl-level player got to 30 and always took a year off, that it could extend their careers and you would almost advise it. Like, what if you wrote it into contracts? I don't know if this would ever happen. But you wrote it into a star player's contract, you're going to take a year off at age 30 and then come back and play four more years or something. Because even Trent Williams, I'm pretty confident if Trent Williams comes back, he's going to be fantastic and healthier than he's ever been. Yeah, there is. I mean, the game of football, I think taking time off is not, shouldn't be seen as a negative. Whereas, like, you know, skilled games, like maybe basketball, uh, you know, maybe pitching in baseball, something like that. Like, taking time off is probably not, is, you're probably going to have some rust to knock off. But with football, like the pounding it takes on your body, taking time off can heal a lot of things that maybe wouldn't have healed or don't heal over the course of the season and over the training it takes to stay in football. So, yeah, I was floored to find out Richie Incognito is going to be 37 this year That's and crazy. still playing off of the guard in the NFL. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And I think you guys had him somewhere in like fourth or fifth best guard in the NFL in yeah, terms of the PFF grades. This is just nuts. I'm um, talking with Mike Renner. He's the lead draft analyst at PFF, the two for one podcast, which is a must listen as you prepare uh, for the NFL draft. So I wrote an article with a little help um, via DM from your co host on your podcast, Austin Gale, to help me out with this is potential boom or bust type of prospects that the Minnesota Vikings could look at. And you tell me if you agree with, I'll give you a couple here, and you tell me if you agree with them and if they make sense for the Vikings. So I don't know if Caleb on Chason will be there, but it's possible. Same with Denzel Mims, Austin Jackson, uh, LaVisca Chenault, Ross Blacklock. Like any of these guys stick out to you, or do you have one that pops into your head quickly um, when I say boom or bust and Vikings? Yeah, Mims. Very much seems like a boomer bust. I, I think we said Jalen Rager as well as last time I was on is a good fit for like what the Vikings need in terms of guys with speed, guys with all the athletes in the world, some production concerns, some concerns about how they'll translate to the NFL. And uh, I think we've seen that at the NFL level, just running the four threes doesn't make you a deep threat. Like speed is good, but it doesn't all of a sudden make you a productive downfield, you know, football player and they all both had their ups and downs at TCU and Baylor, respectively. So, yeah, if they are going wide receiver, I think if they're going looking at those two guys, I think there's a high boomer bust potential. Maybe not complete Laquan Treadwell potential, but some boomer bust potential. So uh, who's the opposite of that in terms of a first or second round receiver? If Mims is the guy that you aren't sure because he didn't put up the huge numbers and maybe his separation skill isn't as good as you'd like, but has the freakish NFL combine and then rises up everybody's board, who is the one who doesn't have the skills but you love the way that they play and might might not have that ceiling where they can be the next Julio Jones but have a pretty good chance at being a solid NFL receiver? I think that's Michael Pittman to me. That's why we kept moving him up You know, every single time. We're like, man, he really... He doesn't have a lot of weaknesses to his game. And I guess he's a little older on the older side for wide receivers. He's a senior coming out. But big dude, doesn't drop balls, got a big catch radius, is athletic for a 220-plus-pound wide receiver, grade three cones combine, went just over 4'5". Like, he does a lot of things well already that 
Yeah, maybe he's not going to have the high end that a Jalen Rager could, a Denzel Mims could, but I think you're just going to get a good wide receiver, and that's, again, if you're leaving the first round, you want to stack good players, and mm-hmm. I think that that's why we call, consider Michael Pittman a first-rounder. What about these tackles? Uh, I included on my boomer bust list Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson. Austin Jackson because he's amazingly athletic, but the production wasn't great, and Isaiah Wilson because he's just the most giant man. And and I've seen his name popping up more and more as being like a second round or a late first round, which is a I guess a little confusing because he wasn't there a while back. But uh, you know, what do you make of both of those guys? Because I think that the other tackles are going to be gone well before the Vikings pick. Yeah, I don't I don't like taking projects at offensive tackle like mm-hmm. flat out. You want guys who are already doing it well because it's such a skill position. It's kind of like hey, let me teach this guy how to shoot three-pointers some guys can learn how to shoot three-pointers but like Steph Curry was shooting three-pointers at an elite level when he was 12 years old the guys (laughs) that can do it right have been doing it should have been doing it by now sort of thing so I worry about just pure project attack on Wilson and uh, I think as for Cleveland I'd even throw in that mix with along with Austin Jackson feel like projects and to me first round is not where I take that project I'll take that project in the third round and see if he develops fourth round see if he develops but first round, if, if a guy's not already passed that at a high level, uh, I'm, I'm not going to take that chance. Yeah, and the Vikings nailed it on Brian O'Neill, who was the same sort of thing, yeah. like a project tackle, but you take him late in the second round, not in the first round. Uh, I wanted to ask you about an article that you wrote about players stepping in right away and um, NFL teams uh, you know, trying to fill for needs. And I don't know if you were watching Last Dance uh, the other day and how the Portland Trailblazers drafted for need and took Sam yeah. Bowie, leaving Michael Jordan to fall to the Chicago Bulls. Um, but, you know, it's the all-time example of do not try to fill needs in the draft. You should take players that are just talented. In the Vikings situation, it's a little weird, though, Mike, because you could draft almost anything, and it probably fills a need that they have. So how do they balance all these different spots that they have? They need a couple of corners. They could use offensive linemen. They could use receivers um, with you know trying to get players who will be a big part of their future. So to me, that matters kind of the most early in the draft when there's the tiers are pretty sort of evident of player value and player sort of performance. Once you get to the 20 range, you might see, you might have, you know, uh, if you do like a horizontal draft board, you might have five guys on the same tier at that point in time, at which point, yes, obviously take the guy who is at the position that you're the worst at or the position where you, you know, you have the least amount of talent or at least invested in, go ahead and do that there. So I, I do think the way that's shaking out for the Vikings you know, they have need that defense tackle, defensive ends, cornerback, wide receiver, four, you know, four highly paid positions. It's not like you're drafting a center in the first round who's, you know, like I said, not a highly paid position in the NFL nowadays. It's four valuable positions. So go ahead and like pick which one seems like it's at the top of your board at that point. I don't think that would be necessarily considered draft. I wouldn't consider that drafting for a need at that point. Now, if they were to draft, say, defensive end comes to mind for like being one of those where in this class you would be doing mm-hmm. it because Everson Griffin is leaving. Uh, with even with Chase on, it seems pretty risky to me. Um, with the lack of production, it's always a red flag. Not everybody's going to be Daniil Hunter who doesn't have the production and then turns into one of the best players in the NFL. There are certain positions where I could justify it less or where it would look much more like you're trying to fill for need right away. If you take a tackle, that's probably for 2021. If you take a defensive end, it's for 2020. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
And I can see that with the way this edge class is. It's just not super talented, and you're not – I don't think the value at 22 or 25 is going to be there. So, yeah, I think if you did, they did go that route, I, I would get on board with probably calling that sort of a need, a panicky – I don't know if it was about panicky, but like a definitely a need-filling sort of pick. Okay, I made a list, and this will be the last thing because I know you've probably got a, a ton of these appearances this week, and I have also had you on three weeks in a row because you're special, Mike. But um, I got a list that, of players that I know are going to be great in the draft. Now, I've explained okay. draft nihilism to you before, but I we made our list. We sort of put it down on paper. These are who we think are going to be good. Um, I have Andrew Thomas is first on my list. I put Michael Pittman second. Ben Barch is third because he's a Minnesota and he's one of us. And I'm also <laughs> intrigued. If you're a small school guy and you make this much noise at the Senior Bowl and NFL Combine, I'm very interested. Uh, A.J. Terrell, the corner, and Curtis Weaver, the pass rusher from Boise State. How is my list? I like that list. Those guys are all already good. I think that's the thing. It's, you want the guys that are already good. Don't give me these projects. Give me guys that are already doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, trying to balance those things is is really tough because I think the Vikings do it the right way, though, Mike. Drafting projects later on. If you take four seventh-round defensive ends who are all tall and run four fives at the combine, like one of them will work, right? <laughs> you might as well. Yeah, I mean, that's when you probably, because if a guy was good in college and already lasted to the fifth, sixth round, there's probably a reason why. And it's probably yeah. not going to work in the NFL. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, Mike. Well, uh, I will give you the space now. Promote yourself as much as you want. What do you guys have going on at Pro Football Focus this week? So we got a draft show live on pretty much all our YouTube, Twitter, I think our Facebook, whatever, anywhere you find PFF, you can probably find our draft show. That'll be throughout the first round. I'm not sure if we're even doing a day two one. I probably should know that, but sure just, you are, just probably. go to PFF. Yeah, just we're going to do one. So, yeah, let's go to <laughs> our YouTube for that. And we're going to be breaking down all the picks there. Uh, and I can't wait. This is going to be one of the most interesting first rounds in memory because of all the interesting things going on in the lead up here and also go to pff.com and you guys have uh you know good deals on subscriptions things like that and the two for one podcast the must listen so thank you for all your time during draft season mike uh very much appreciated for sure thanks for having me on matthew have a good one man yep take care mike renner there um from pro football focus follow me at pff underscore mike i'm glad that he liked my list sometimes i wonder you know is he just saying that did you say he likes my list, or does he uh, does he just not care and is like, well, I'm not going to fight you on the air about your list. I like my list. I also have Jalen Hurts on the list, but I left him out only because I'm not really sure about it. Sage was breaking down film on Jalen Hurts on Twitter, and there sort of becomes like a misconception of how much I like Jalen Hurts if I put him on my list. I don't like Jalen Hurts as the first overall pick. I like the value and potential of Jalen Hurts versus someone like Justin Herbert. I think I like Jalen Hurts slightly better as a prospect than Justin Herbert because of like which boxes you checked of things that they do well. You say, like, all right, Hurts is accurate and athletic and uses his legs really successfully. I like those things. And he's a leader and guys follow him. I like those things. You say that Justin Herbert is tall and throws it really hard. I don't like that as much in terms of what translates to the NFL. Um, so I like Hertz better in that way. But that doesn't mean that I'm saying push all the chips to the middle of the table. There have only been two guys that I have felt since I started doing this job at the beginning of 2016 that I felt in the draft, oh my gosh, 
it, whoever drafts this person is going to be stupendously lucky in terms of a quarterback, and that is Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And lo and behold, they were. I do not feel that way about Jalen Hurts. He could very well turn out to be any of the middling quarterbacks that we've seen in the second and third round. There's, I have this saved, so I'll pull it up, the, the history of quarterbacks, because I like to go back and refer to you know NFL.com sorts them really nicely by position and things like that historically. Um, so it, you know, call that up here, but there are so many guys that you sort of like for one reason or another. They're in the second or third round. I'll give you an example. Last year, Will Greer. I kind of liked Will Greer. Like, you watch him play. He was fun. He made a lot of big-time throws, but you know, he didn't have the greatest arm. Same sort of deal. Like, sure, yeah, take Will Greer in the third round. And you know what? He's no good. Not at all. Very bad. So, you know, I mean, there's always this guy that you like that you figure, well, if he's in the second round, and, you know, I mean, Josh Dobbs was another guy that I Watched a, a few games at Tennessee, thought, hey, that could be your draft steal in the fourth round. Nothing really came of it. So Hertz is only a, a, a little bit above those guys in my mind. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a second-round pick, but I wouldn't put him on the list saying, I guarantee, I'm not pounding the table, saying I guarantee Jalen Hurts is going to be a great player. It's just, if you're in the second round and you need a quarterback, then, I mean, take him and see if you can work with his specific skill set he is a great runner, that he is accurate if you give him time to throw the ball. Um, it's it's funny how it works that with Kirk Cousins, he hangs on to the ball longer than anybody in the NFL, and Jalen Hurts hangs on to the ball too long. But with Cousins, you know, it I guess doesn't seem to be, an, when people talk about him, the same type of problem it does with Hurts, but Hurts can actually do something about it when he screws up and hangs on to the ball too long. So... Anyway, there's that. Uh, the Boomer Bust Prospects article you can see at scorenorth.com. And just going to keep writing and writing and writing draft articles until the end of the draft. So, uh, what we have more Gronk news, Johnson? Yes, from Adam Schefter. Patriots are trading tight end Rob Gronkowski and a seventh round pick to the Bucks for a fourth rounder pending a physical. Wow, Renner nailed that one. Or wait, wait, they're trading him and a seventh for what, a fourth? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he nailed that one of just like getting whatever you could possibly get and making that happen. And hey, I mean, the Bucks are fun again for the first time since yeah. what, Mike Allstott was the last time? Also, the NFC South is really fun again. Yes, the NFC South um, with New Orleans is still great. Drew Brees is coming mm-hmm. back. This is a point that I made earlier on the show about Atlanta and why Atlanta should be thinking about a quarterback because you aren't winning. No, like You are not winning that division if you're Atlanta unless Gronk and Tom Brady are both get hurt and Drew Brees and Michael Thomas all get hurt. What of do you course, do with the rest of that team, though? Because you know you're not going to win that division. Are you really going to keep Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and all these other guys around? Yeah, I th- you kind of just have to play that one out. But I think you start looking toward the future if you don't believe that you can really win. I mean, you try to make the playoffs if you're Atlanta because you have enough talent. But if you don't think that you're going to win the Super Bowl and Matt Ryan is getting in his upper 30s, you might as well start looking toward the future yeah. and trying to rebuild that thing for whoever the next quarterback is going to be. I mean, it's great career by... Uh, Matt Ryan overall is a borderline Hall of Fame career, but you've sort of reached the end of that rope, and now you have to start thinking forward. So Rob Gronkowski, who saw that coming today, <laughs> traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and will play with Tom Brady. Wow. Love it. All right. Well, we're going to get further analysis on that and continue our draft discussion with Eric Edholm 
of Yahoo Sports. When we return, maybe I'll draft Sim and get him to grade it. Why not? Draft Sim away. All right, we'll be back here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or that free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North is giving away $1,000 to someone who correctly predicts the first draft pick by the Purple in this week's draft. It's the Draft Day 1K giveaway. Here's how you can win. Download or open the Score North app, register your app, and enter to win in listening rewards. And follow the instructions, the directions for the Draft Day 1K giveaway. That's on the free Score North mobile app. Rick Spielman talking to the media before the draft today, talking about when he knew it was time to trade Stefan Diggs, saying. You know, uh, a lot of things, I won't get into last year, but I know how we felt about uh, Stefan and what a playmaker he was for us. Um, and I, I'm going to leave all those internal discussions uh, in-house. Uh, it just came to a point, I think, where the draft capital we were able to get for him uh, was a good, the business decision for us, and it was also a good business decision for him. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, Jonathan, I am processing still. My brain is like the little, you know, spinny ball. If you have a Mac and then every time your computer slows down just a little tiny bit, you get that spinning balloon thing. Yes. And it's so annoying. It's been um, the internet today. That's that's kind of my brain right now with what's going on with Rob Gronkowski trying to figure out like, wait a minute, who is on this team now to go along with Tampa Bay? They still have uh, a high first-round pick that they could do anything they want with, which, I mean, do they go with a tackle here? Do they trade up um, to get a tackle? And uh, there's more reports that are coming in that he's uh, Rob Gronkowski's been traded to Tampa Bay for a fourth-round pick, and there's a seventh-round included in the trade. And, uh, you know, it just it would figure that you know, the seventh-round pick that is in the trade um, – you know, or that would turn into, or maybe it's the, the fourth round pick. Sorry, going the other way is like that's going to turn into, without a doubt, the next great franchise quarterback for the Patriots because it just has to. I think <laughs> is this the best receiving core Brady's ever had? I know he had Moss at one point, but well, uh, got Mike Evans, Moss. I, you know, I'd have to look. I mean, Moss playing at his absolute peak sort of trumps yeah. everything else. But I don't even remember really who else was on. That team with Randy Moss, but you know what? We have the internet, so let's look it up. You know, I think it is. It's just unfortunate for Brady, and I I put that in sort of finger quotes. Unfortunate that he's old and he can't throw the ball as far anymore. But yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay is doing the exact right thing here by saying, "Oh, an opportunity to possibly include Rob Gronkowski." Yes, immediate yes. Even if he's half of Rob Gronkowski. Click yes, and we can all thank the NFL gods for all this. So you had Wes Welker, Randy Moss, Dante Stallworth, Ben Watson was that group. Yeah, no, that's that's probably not as good as 75% of Gronk to go along with um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who were two of the top receivers in the entire NFL. 
But I forgot how preposterous Randy Moss's stats were that season in 2007. And and to to add 98 catches and 23 touchdowns with 1,500 yards to Wes Welker's 112 catches for almost 1,200 yards with Tom Brady. You know what's weird about Brady's stat lines for his career is that many of them are not super impressive until you get to... um, until you get to that year, like many of his career seasons are him going, you know, like 20 touchdowns or 24 touchdowns and 14 picks and 85 quarterback rating. And then all of a sudden there's just this massive Randy Moss yeah. spike. He jumped up 20 touchdowns in one year because of Randy Moss. <laughs> yeah, the, 2006, Tom Brady had an 87.9 quarterback <laughs> rating. And then the next year, 117.2. So if we were... If we're putting down money, so that I mean that was the last year with Brady where he had a quarterback rating under ninety was two thousand six before last year two thousand nineteen and eighty eight. So does he have like what one hundred and ten quarterback rating this year with those wide receivers? You cannot overstate how awful the wide receivers were last year for the New England Patriots. And just pulling this up now, I mean he was having to throw it out of the backfield a lot. You had James White with 72 receptions, was their second-best receiver. And Julian Edelman, I remember distinctly seeing him drop a bunch of balls. But how how crazy is this? Edelman had 100. White had 72. The next-best receiver had 29 on the uh, New England Patriots. So, I mean, just uh, what a crazy jump this will be for Tom Brady. And if he's going to convince anybody that he could play till he's past 45, uh, maybe he could do it with a couple of more years of Rob Gronkowski. So some wild news there that does indeed affect the Minnesota Vikings, who will have to go to Tampa Bay this year and play the NFC South. And this sort of speaks to what I've been thinking about for the NFL draft and how the 2021 approach is just smarter and safer. Not that you have to entirely like sit everybody that you draft at 22 or 25. It's just, if you're being realistic with yourself and you look at last year's schedule versus this year's schedule, last year's schedule for the Vikings, they only needed to win one game against the winning team in the regular season to get themselves into the playoffs. Well, next year, if things play out even remotely, how we think they're going to, you're going to have, to go to Tampa Bay, you're going to have to have you know an Atlanta team that's going to be better and to play at New Orleans again. And even Teddy Bridgewater coming here is not a rollover game where it's a hundred percent chance that you win. Um, so let's say that you know you lose two out of those four games or three out of those four games, and all of a sudden things look pretty darn difficult for you if you are the Vikings. And uh, I think that. Maybe there was a, a bit of an overreaction in terms of as soon as Brady went to Tampa Bay, it was an automatic, oh, they're Super Bowl favorites and everything else. You go, oh, okay, it is Tampa Bay. But now they have a better defense that last year gave up a ton of points because Jameis Winston was throwing picks all over the place. But their actual defense in terms of efficiency, yards per play allowed, was pretty solid. And so they got some things to build on there, and Dominican Sue returns. And now you have an extra weapon and, and a pretty high draft pick for someone who can step in right away. And it looks like the Super Bowl favorite now. I don't know if I would have said that head and shoulders above everybody else before Gronkowski goes there. But I'm going on the assumption that the guy has had a lot of time to heal and he is back in shape and ready to go. 
And, uh, you know, I think somebody reported, I, I don't know, it's been sort of a flood here, but someone reported that Gronkowski has been quietly adding weight, getting back into NFL shape. And in that case, then he can just, uh, you know, jump right back into the NFL. So that will be really fun. And it also hit me pretty hard when I thought, oh, there better be games. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, every day goes along with coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. You turn on the news, you read the newspaper, everything else. It is just taking over our lives. And somebody had a stat about how much sports we have missed you know, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games. And every time I start to talk about something that's really exciting for the NFL for next season is set up to be a tremendous year, I kind of have to pull back a little bit and say, like, well, let's hope that this ends up working out. And now I want it even more with Rob Gronkowski in Tampa Bay. Okay, so Rick Spielman talked with the media earlier today uh, about uh, a, a number of things. Really, the focus was how the team is dealing with being uh, quarantined and whether this is going to go off without a hitch and so forth with 32 general managers all in their draft bunkers trying to orchestrate trades and, and everything else. And he said that there was one hiccup during the league's mock draft to test all of this out, but that was really the only problem that they had. So I don't expect this to be the mess that all of you out there who love chaos want it to be. I mean, there will probably be some little hitches, but in terms of anything big and, and the whole thing being an IT disaster, probably not. And this is the NFL, and it sounds like they have backup plans on top of backup plans for Thursday night, and we'll be ready to go, and that's fine. Um, but we, he did, was asked about Stefan Diggs. Rick Spielman has not talked at any point since um, Stefan Diggs was traded to Buffalo, so if you have that one, Jonathan, could you play what he said about Stefan Diggs? You know, we had no, we did not want to, uh, had no intention of trading uh, Diggs at the, uh, at the combine. Uh, he's a great player for us. Uh, he was great in the community. Uh, but then there was an opportunity, business opportunity that came up as this evolved that we felt was both good for Stefan and was good for us. Uh, and we decided to go ahead and make the trade. But we'll always appreciate uh, everything that, uh, that Stefan has done for us here in Minnesota and wish you nothing but the best. So how will we decide? It came to my mind. How will we decide whether the Vikings did the right thing with Stefan Diggs? Will it be, we'll decide based on what he does in Buffalo or what he does the rest of his career? Will we decide based on the 22nd overall pick and whether that ends up working out? Or will we judge it just by, hey, it made sense at the time because they had to do it? Or... It didn't make sense at the time because they didn't have to do it. Uh, this is a hard one, and Spielman, as you heard there, gave it very little clarity into what happened. There was a follow-up question of, you know, what went wrong? What were those conversations like with Stefan Diggs behind the scenes? How long was he unhappy? And we know just from my own reporting, Courtney's reporting, people we've talked to, um, things that were going on behind the scenes, and you saw the tweets and so forth, but to have no real true clarity for fans, sometimes I try to think about if you're a Viking fan who goes to a couple of games a year and you're a lifelong fan and just what your perspective would be, how different it might be from mine as a reporter. And I think you've got to be really frustrated that 
the whole thing that you know about, at least from the public face of the Vikings, the whole the whole statement that you get was it was a business opportunity. Thanks, Stefan, and I'm not telling you what happened. Really leaves you in the dark for one of the most popular players to play here, who was uh, at the center of one of the biggest moments in Vikings franchise history. And you get it was a business decision. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, I thought that there could have been a little more expanding on that relationship and why it fell apart and why they felt like they needed to trade him and calling it, you know, a business deal. I mean, that is what it is. Um, but at the same time, it just feels, it feels pretty icy to just be like, yeah, not telling you what happened and thanks for the memories, but we got the 22nd overall pick. So that's that. Um, and I, and eventually we will probably just grade it on, they got the 22nd pick. So whoever they select, it's sort of like that, you know, you trade away Randy Moss and you take Troy Williamson and whoops, that didn't exactly work out for you well. I would almost advise them not to take a wide receiver at 22 because that person will always be the guy who was traded for the Stephon Diggs pick. So if you got Denzel Mims and he turned out to not be that great, he's always going to be connected from fans to, well, you know, you weren't Stephon Diggs, even if he is a good contributor. I think the right way to judge it is based on what the plan becomes. So I'll try to expand on what I mean. If the Vikings' plan is to soft rebuild this thing into giving Kirk Cousins everything he could possibly dream of in 2021, and they get a tackle, they get a receiver in the second round, say it turns out to be great, a corner, and then this draft is remembered for a turning point in the Zimmer and Spielman era where they sort of came to the end of one road and then started off on another one. And Diggs's name just gets dropped in with Xavier Rhodes, Everson Griffin, Trey Waynes, all these guys left that offseason. And it's just sort of tossed in because all the new players came in and they formed this uh, group of the next great Minnesota Vikings that took you back to being in contention in 2021 and say you get a playoff win or whatever it might be. If that is the plan and it hits, then it will be remembered that way. If the plan is to try and draft a receiver who you need to you know, fill in that role right now and the guy ends up with 30 receptions on 65 targets or something, just throwing out a number, it doesn't go that well, put it that way, and the offense struggles, and you go 7-9, and nine, and then you make a change, and, and everything is sort of blown up, then it might be looked at as, yeah, uh, that was a turning point in the other direction toward this thing completely changing, um, or, you know, maybe even if you're a mediocre team and you go nine and seven and you're that close in a playoff game, but, you know, you don't have enough weapons to throw to, it will be the, well, if you had only had Stefan Diggs at that point. So, uh, I'll be interested to follow this far down the road just because I like stuff like that, um, to continue to track the Stefan Diggs trade and see how it works out for both teams. I mean, the same thing for Buffalo where, you know, if he goes there and he makes Josh Allen better as he has every quarterback here, and then all of a sudden you're talking about the Bills at 12 and 4, 11 and 5, uh, that will matter to how Vikings fans look at it too, because fans love that and reporters love that. Teams hate it when you say, yeah, you know, that guy you released 
Look what he turned into. And and this actually, or the guy you traded, this actually has not been much of a thing when it has come to this Vikings era with Mike Zimmer of having to track players that they got rid of and saying, oh, well, why'd you do that? Because this guy became that. I mean, they've really kept this team together, and that was another theme of the Rick Spielman press conference today. Jonathan, was there other audio to you as you were listening to it and and cutting it up into clips that you thought was interesting from Rick Spielman? And if so, just play something. Yeah, he talked about the wide receiver depth. This has, has to be uh, one of the deepest classes that, that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I would say there's a whole, there's all kinds of flavor. Uh, there's speed guys, there's speed guys with returnability. Uh, there's bigger guys that are excellent route runners. But there are a lot of good options. And, and like I said, I don't think only in the first round that you can get a lot of good receivers, I think, throughout this entire draft. Really wish John Gruden was reading that same thing. You know, we got a guy who's a, one of these types of guys, one of these types of guys. Um, I read that comment, and I know it's smokescreen season, but I read that comment like if you are the Vikings and you know exactly what type of receiver is going to fit with Gary Kubiak and his offense, you are focused on getting that guy in the second round. If I'm placing my fake football bucks on what positions they select in the first round, second round, and so forth, I'm going offensive tackle and corner in the first round with, let's say I had 100 football bucks. I'm putting 75 of those football bucks down on those two positions being the ones that they select there. And then the rest of it, second round wide receiver, because it is so deep. And even when you look at last year, Debo Samuel was talked about as a potential first-round pick. A.J. Brown was talked about as a potential first-round pick. And neither one of those guys were selected high, and they turned out to be two of the better receivers in the draft. And Terry McLaurin might be the best receiver in that draft, and he ended up as a third-round pick. Recent history points to having success in the second and third rounds with those. And so I guess my eyes are on which wide receiver drops and how might that player fit with Gary Kubiak. That is a hard one to figure out, though, because Diggs last year held down the role of a pure deep wide receiver. But Adam Thielen's ability to track the ball in the air, I mean, that could open him up to becoming that type of receiver, too. Remember when he gets hurt, he's running a deep crossing route and making an incredible catch, diving in the back of the end zone against the Detroit Lions. So do you need somebody who is like a LaVisca Chenault to just be able to catch the ball and make plays. I mean, sometimes we act like the only thing Gary Kubiak has ever done offensively is run play action and throw it deep down the field, which is a big part of it for sure. But last year they had certain games where Philadelphia was an example. They wanted to get Kirk Cousins going early in the game. And so they used some of these quick screens and things like that that they had in the playbook a lot for 2018 and they just didn't have a ton of success with them. Diggs' yards-after-catch guy is good sometimes, but he's not one of those like Debo Samuel or a Cordero Patterson where you just put the ball in his hands and he's going to make a bunch of plays. That would be LaVisca Chenault. He is one of those guys um, who you could use on the short passes and who could contribute more right away. So that receiver comment is interesting. That points me a little bit in the direction, and when I do... My final draft sim, which, uh, you know, I think maybe maybe tonight, maybe tonight I'll do the final draft sim and, and write it up. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for scorenorth.com. But when I do the final draft sim, 
I think that's how I'm going to look at it is to aim for taking in the first round, probably a, a, a tackle and a corner and receiver in the second round. That's where I would put the money down on because of the depth of the draft. So that comment was really interesting. Anything else stand out to you, Jonathan? Yeah, he talked about the possibility of trades in this draft with just the pos- with how they're the whole thing's set up via video conferencing. I think you're going to see trades probably locked in earlier just because I, I think everybody's going to be a little nervous about when you're on a clock and whether a glitch happens or not. I don't think it will be as big an issue because we have 10 minutes on Thursday. I know in the second round we have seven. When it starts to get into the five-minute rounds, those are where it's going to get a little interesting because you can't say, okay, we'll give you, we'll flop you in the thirds and give you a fifth because you don't know who's on the board yet. I think there will be a lot of pre-work done for the first day, but I think after that, it'll be interesting to see if we have the same amount of trades or if people are going to be less likely to trade and just go with a pick. So I think that's yet to be determined, but that should be uh, exciting. The thing that I keep coming back to is with so many needs, trading down just makes a lot of sense. And there will be all sorts of teams that have needs, and especially if one of those quarterbacks drops and someone gets desperate, then you absolutely want to allow that team to trade from the second to the first and take their second and take their third and take something next year. I mean, they're in a very good position in this particular draft to trade down. You know, so I was trying to draft Sim and take a tackle, specifically tackle and corner. The problem I keep running into is that all the great tackles go off the board. So that will be something to watch. And maybe they do end up with a wide receiver in the first round. So uh, what else you got, Jonathan? This one, he was talking about the, their own defensive back depth and how they plan on rectifying that in the draft. I, I know we have some big changes in the secondary. I believe, you know, one of the critical things was, you know, not only is Anthony Harris a great football player for us uh, and great in the community, uh, but by us being able to franchise Anthony, we do have the safeties pretty well set, um, knowing that we're going to have a lot of young corners that we're going to have to line up and play with. Oh, do you have the safeties set? Is that a smoke screen? Is that trying to pump up his value? It is a fun time of year. So, there are some times where when the 50th draft guide from somebody pops up and uh, is arguing with me on Twitter about something uh, that you're like, okay, all right, draft season, I, I need a break. But then I am reinvigorated by smoke screens because set at safety position, but... To my knowledge, Anthony Harris has not signed his franchise tag, and Josina Anderson reported uh, the other day that they're working on an extension, but if those talks fall apart and someone comes in with a high third-round pick or something, then you probably have to do it, especially with a number of very good safeties in this draft. And I'm curious if that was intentional by Rick Spielman to say we're set at safety or if he was saying it on purpose to let everybody else know we're not giving away Anthony Harris for free. Stop calling with your fifth-round picks. That's not what we're doing. Uh, At very least, you have to come away with a third if you trade Anthony Harris. But I have always thought that it was a better idea for this team to keep Anthony Harris, sign him to a contract extension, and make up for some of the shortcomings at corner by having great safeties. So we shall see uh, when it comes to that. But that goes in terms of ranking the storylines heading into the draft for the Vikings way up at the top. Like he checked off the boxes for today in his uh, Zoom conference that Anthony Harris, 
whether he comes back, um, how they're looking at the wide receiver group and replacing Stephon Diggs, all those things Rick Spielman addressed. So uh, we'll continue to play that audio, I'm sure, through Mackie and Judd with Rami that's coming up next. Also, uh, I'm going to go back and listen to the entire thing and have a breakdown at scorenorth.com. And then, you know, it's either today or tomorrow, publish the, uh, the final draft sim. We've simmed so much, and we will continue to sim all the way up until the very last minute. But I mean the final one where I say, all right, I'm doing this, and how it plays mm-hmm. out, it plays out, and I write about every pick. Is there a uh, tinge of sadness that it's coming to an end here? No. I really want it to happen. <laughs> I re- I just I would really like to get to that. So, uh, all right, everybody, I, I guess this week I wanted to sign off each day with Stay Safe and Draft Sim. So please do that. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. We will see you tomorrow here on Score North. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the College Football Playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.